Welcome back to the Lou Perez podcast. My name is Lou Perez, and I'm happy to report that right now you can order my book. That's right. I wrote a book. It's called That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore on the Death and Rebirth of Comedy. Follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez. That joke isn't funny anymore. If you want other options on how you can buy my book, please sign up for my newsletter at theluperez.com. You could also join my community at theluperez.locals.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could leave a five-star review, that would be amazing. Whether you're a long-time listener or first-time, five-star reviews are lovely. If you're looking for other ways you can support me, you can do so by supporting my sponsors. If you're into CBD products, please check out PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Use promo code Lou to get 25% off purchases over $75. And if you like cold brew, check out Black Organic Cold Brew at www.blvckbrew.com and use promo code Lou for free shipping. All right, let's go. Very excited to be joined by my next guest. You may know him as Brad Palumbo because that's his name. Uh, he's, uh, uh, I'm very familiar with his work at Fee. It's the Foundation for Economic Education. And he has a really cool uh, recent project, politics.com. So, Brad, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, it's good to be with you. Yeah. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about uh, basedpolitics.com? Because it is fairly new. Like You guys have, have only been around what, a couple of months, I think. Yeah, just a little over a month now. Wow. So we're off to a good start. We've got nearly a quarter million visitors to the website, which is basedpolitics.com. And, and we've got a weekly podcast. Just search Base Politics, wherever you're listening to this. But basically, uh, the idea is that it's a next generation multimedia hub. Um, that's going to try to reach conservative, right-leaning young audiences with a principled message from youthful voices like myself and Hannah Cox that's kind of offering something different than your establishment GOP or your super Trumpy conservative media that simultaneously is principled and, and rooted in freedom and capitalism and the things that we care about, but also kind of not like boomer messaging. Right. Because yeah. we're actually in touch. I mean, for example, we both reach millions on TikTok. So the idea is that it's kind of a next generation multimedia project and it's a nonprofit organization. Well, I mean, I, uh, I'm i sure that a lot of my viewers can uh, uh, can can feel me on this. But uh, the fact that you are so young angers me. And I'm sure it angers it angers everybody else because I mean you've done so much work, uh, you know, and you, you are a, a young person. Um, like, how did you get started? You know with how this old story? I am? I, I'm going to say 24 at the most. Correct, bingo. Yeah, 24. Dude, I'm 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 creepily very good at at that. I guess like he's got the 20. He's got 24 year old cheekbones. I used to have cheekbones like that, guys. Before whatever happened to my face. Now I'm like I'm, I'm like leaning too far into my camera, and I'm like I gotta I gotta move back a little bit. The <laughs> isn't, isn't treating me uh, too well, but yeah. So you're, you're 24. I mean, I'm, I've been following your work. It feels like uh, for a while now. Um, yeah, like when when did you get started in all this stuff? So I have actually kind of an interesting origin story. I would say so myself. So um, I went to the University of Massachusetts Amherst, UMass Amherst. It's like the flagship public college in Massachusetts. Uh, and I didn't do that for political reasons or anything. I simply did that because it was 
the best slash most affordable in the sweet spot of the two public college in Massachusetts, which is where I grew up. Uh, so you get that in-state tuition rate, right? So I was just trying to scrape by, not be buried in debt. And I went there and I decided to study economics. And I did all of this without realizing that UMass happened to be the only college in the USA that has a fully Marxist economics department. Fully uh, Marxist. Well, I, let me take that back. Not There are some non-Marxists on the staff, but it has like, that is the majority. Whereas other schools, a lot of them have Keynesian, which is like very progressive economists, but these economists would literally call themselves Marxists, whereas most wouldn't. So I'm not saying that as a pejorative, but that's like mm -hmm. actually who the professors were. So I got kind of thrown into this far left economic um, class and, and series of study. And I was really honestly pretty repulsed by it and pushed in the opposite direction. Did, did you grow up? Uh, I mean, when I, I hadn't even heard of, uh, you know, Keynes or, or I mean, I heard a little bit of Marx because I, I was an English major. So just to see like how far, you know, I guess the, the ideology goes, you know, there were times when we would have to like analyze a story through a Marxist lens, you know, and it's like what it's wow. like and, and more than anything, it's sort of like you, uh, you know, you have a paper due in the morning and you have to come up with some bullshit. Uh, so it's like, OK, yeah, the, the, the dialectic uh, happening here and all that. But um, uh, so I, I wasn't familiar like with, you know, libertarians or or anything or uh, definitely not Austrian economics or anything like that until I was way out of college. Um, when you were going into this, when you were going into school, had you already been familiar like with other, you know, thoughts? No, definitely not. I just wasn't very political in high school. Um, wasn't really tuned into it, though. I think I was like loosely um, rooting for Gary Johnson as the least bad of the three in 2016. That was when I was a senior and then a freshman in college. So uh, I, I think I, but I was really not engaged with this stuff. I'd never heard of Milton Friedman or Thomas Sowell, who I've got basic economics behind me on the shelf. Uh, here. So I had, I didn't know any of that, frankly, uh, going in. And then I kind of discovered a lot of these resources over the next few years. But it's funny you mentioned like bullshitting for a paper or whatever, because that's what so many people at UMass did was just go along with the social justice crowd. I'd like to describe it as like 20% of the campus was radical far left social justice warriors and Marxists. And then like the other 70%, 10% was like quiet, closeted conservatives or Republicans. The other 70% there was basically just scared, if that makes mm. sense, and just quiet and let the mob run stuff. But that wasn't me. I was never the type. I've been kind of a, a little bit of an attention whore and a shit stirrer since like <laughs> kindergarten, uh, frankly. Uh, and so I went in head first and was like, let's debate, professor, why aren't you mentioning the fact that there were gulags in the Soviet Union? You're just talking about how everyone was so equal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I'd have people come up to me after class all the time and be like, thank you for speaking out or saying that. And I was like, could have used you in there. It was 40 V1. And they'd be like, oh, well, I don't want my friends to think I'm a racist because I disagree with affirmative action. And I'm wow. like, great. You're taking that, that way out. And I get it, but that was never me. I mean, uh, first, I just uh, I'm just imagining like your parents getting a phone call when you're in kindergarten. And they're like, look, Brad is an attention whore and uh, we know that he's in kindergarten. But, you know, you got to stop this right now. 
Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, I, 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 I was going to ask about, you know, when you're in that sort of environment um, in an educational uh, uh, environment where, okay, your professor is Marxist, but I guess the hope is that the professor will be able to like sort of leave their own, you know, ideology, you know, uh, to, you know, put it to the side in order to teach whatever the material is. I mean, did you find that where they were they able to separate, you know, kind of their their revolutionary ideas from, you know, teaching? No, uh, I don't think so. And but I would also acknowledge that that's kind of hard to do in economics mm-hmm. because the different schools of economic thought literally disagree on the basic concept. I mean, there are some things that all economists agree on. But for example, if you're a Keynesian economist, you would teach that GDP is in part determined by consumer spending. If you're an Austrian economist, you don't believe that at all. So you literally would have to pick a different formula to teach students based on what your belief is. So it it would be very difficult at an advanced level beyond the 101 to teach a truly non-ideological, neutral version of economics. Mm-hmm. Now, that's definitely not the case in lots of other subjects. But then even then, it's like a lot of them were very biased, to be clear. But some of them were biased in a way where they were still like interested in debating or having conversations. Or And I, I will say I never had the experience where I was like given bad grades because I was disagreeing or anything. Not to say that doesn't happen, but I was at one of the most far-left campuses in, in the country and it didn't happen to me, is all I can say. That's a sample size of one. Um, but I had, I tended to have, uh, I think, older professors, particularly. It's the young ones who, who tend to be more radical and woke. The older ones tend to be pretty far to the left on the ideas and the substance, but still believe in, like, classically liberal values of debate and free speech. Mm-hmm. And so I had some good professors who were, like, card-carrying progressives or or whatever, but really like to have debate and encourage different ideas. I, had, I definitely had some, a few, uh, I'll never forget. I took a gender, gender studies course. Uh, and one of my professors, when I suggested that it could possibly be the case that people born biologically male might have a advantage in sports when they identify as female and compete in women's sports, she stopped the class and she was like, I just want to check in with everybody and make sure we're all feeling safe. This is why we come to class to have difficult conversations. And I was, it, it's funny because she actually was nice and she was encouraging me to have a different point of view, mm-hmm. but she was just so woke and it showed. And so that's kind of how a lot of the younger professors were, but the older ones I tended to have a pretty good experience with because they had that old ACLU style approach to the world. Yeah. And, and, you know, hearing, hearing you say that, I think it, it shows like, kind of like the the generational divide about you know from when I was in school where um I remember I took a gender studies uh, course which I guess it counted I had I had to take like a social science course uh so it counted towards that so I took it and um there was a time when I was in class where I had my hand raised like the whole class and it was a small class maybe like 20 or 30 of us and the professor refused to call on me like just refused to call me. And then one day I was looking around and I was like, oh, I'm the only like straight guy in this class. And I'm like, oh, that's that she was, you know, being very, you know, just sort of, uh, uh, you know, to the point that, you know, my, you know, my opinion was not, uh, was not welcome here. And it was, it was, you know, as a, I'm a, 
you know, at that time, it was probably like, what, 2021. 20, uh, I was, you know, definitely up the type of guy that, you know, spoke up uh, for myself. And I remember I, I wrote like an email because what I wanted to, oh God, what was it? Because I, I was I was a sophomore during 9-11. So there was already a tough time in, uh, in school. And I think I was taking it one of those semesters, either the semester of September 11th or the following one. And in class, we were debating uh, basically uh, going to Afghanistan, you know, uh, the invasion of Afghanistan. And the point that I was bringing up was that the way that uh, sort of uh, firefighters and the deaths of firefighters were being used as a way to sort of a rallying cry, like we need to go and get revenge. And it was a point that I wanted to bring up in class, which I think was sort of on the same level, what they were, you know, trying to, uh, to argue. But, you know, I was denied because I, I was, I guess, I didn't know heteronormative at the time, but I guess I was too heteronormative for the, uh, uh, this is your oppression story. This is how they got this me. Is your truth. Yeah. This is my truth. This is, this is, uh, I need reparations for what happened. <laughs> that, basically. You know, I actually saw something and this is funny cause I don't know if your listeners know this, but I I'm gay and pretty public about it, but I've seen some stuff where it's like New York times opinion, the case for gay reparations and it cracks me up because I don't agree with reparations for slavery or African-American repar- reparations, but there is at least a logic to it, right? That like terrible injustices were done to these people hundreds of years ago and it carried on through the centuries through like, there, there's a logic to that. There's tons of problems with it and I don't agree with it. But then the idea of gay reparations always cracks me up because it's like my parents weren't gay. My children probably won't be gay. That's not how it works. There's no intergenerational effects. Like, obviously, gay people were treated like crap in this country for a long time. But it's like, that doesn't directly impact me at all. I think <laughs> so that's I, always one of the woke ideas I found the most laughable. Yeah. Uh, well, I think one thing that, that gay men need reparations for is just all the time they spend having to talk to their straight women friends and just hear them bitch and complain about everything and you have to like be there for them like i'm i really i feel i feel for you guys i'm, I'm we kind of like it we kind of like the Do drama. You like it? in high school i was a drama king i used to like to like spread rumors or plant things in my girlfriends to make them fight with each other or like i, I told oh. you attention whore dude you should not be revealing this stuff because you know that's gonna that's gonna come back it's like well, well if, if you can reveal something like what was the, <laughs> what was uh the type of thing that you would do. And this is bad. Let me say, like, I am apologizing for this, but I was just bored one day in high school. So I spread the rumor that one of my friends gave her boyfriend a blowjob in the parking lot, even though that wasn't true. So you spread a rumor that she was being a great partner and in a very public setting, uh, which to be, let's just be clear. I was a very troubled teenager with a very messed up home life. And I, I definitely regret that, but, but that tells you the kind of shit stirrer I was back then. And it can kind of be when you have that, you have to, I'm sure you know this, you have to have thick skin and you have to be born for the fray to be a political commentator. And so I definitely always have had that. Now, the flip side, though, is because the problem with a lot of political commentators is because they are mostly all attention whores. If you don't check that impulse you'll end up just going more and more extreme and crazy and outrageous for attention all the time. So I've, I think at, at the very beginning of my career, a little bit while I was still in college, I kind of was a little reactionary and swung to the opposite extreme. But then one of the things I've done over my time, you know, actually building my career to try to be a serious policy analyst and commentator is tempering that desire for 
you know, to make an impact, to be heard, to have a splash, tempering that desire with making sure, you know, you're not being hyperbolic and not attacking people, you're attacking ideas and you're still being principled. And that's the struggle. Honestly, it's, it's much easier said than done, but that is what I go for. And, and now, I mean, you know, uh, you know, compared to other ages where, I mean, you could be, you could really just be in like front and center in front of everybody 24 hours a day if you wanted, you know, I mean, you could very well set up a, a camera that like watches you sleep you know that and broadcast that out to the world it's quite possible to do that oh yeah I, you know? there are some creepy followers who would pay for that oh <laughs> oh, oh have, have you have you been uh have you been asked to go down the only fans route i people will solicit uh feet pics a lot like a much older gay men have some and this is not a gay thing my girlfriends tell me they that they get these messages all the time people trying to buy feet pics mm. and i will admit i've never sent feet pics but sometimes i do ask how much they're offering because i'm kind of curious like how much i'm worth to these people and i've been offered as much as five hundred dollars which is kind of flattering each foot or or for both no for both feet both feet okay i'm writing that down that's like getting close to the range where i'd consider it like (laughs) if it's just feet you know i have to I, i have to admit something or reveal something to everyone i have beautiful feet I actually have gorgeous feet where I've uh, I've dated women in the past and they've told me you have beautiful feet. My wife tells me I have beautiful beautiful feet. You I have, have little tiny feet. What's uh, no my my wife has little tiny feet. Um but I don't. I I have I have I have very like uh, almost statuesque feet. Um this is this just got really fucking weird uh for Brad. Um I'm not the one soliciting him. I want everyone to know I'm not the one asking to well, see I don't know, it could be people. one of your alts. <laughs> it could be, uh, but it's more because I'm a competitor, you know, I'm like competitive <laughs> and all that. But it but it's <laughs> it's it's something where I, I don't think I've dated I think every every woman I've dated, I've had nicer feet than if you could believe that. That's kind wow. of yeah, and without even trying. Like it's not like I'm like doing a So without giving away my saleable asset, I will say my feet are in rough shape because they're size 14. So they're big. Oh, jeez. But then I play soccer all like Mm. several times per week. So my feet are constantly covered with like bruises or cuts and like nails are chipped. And so I, I think they would be disappointed, but I would absolutely not offer a refund. Oh no, definitely not. No, you, you you might have like dancer feet. My, my wife was a dancer and uh, like ballerinas, like ballerinas, like they're, you know, gorgeous, but you take a look at them, uh, at them, those hooves. Ooh, terrible, man. All beaten up and like broken and ugh, it's crazy. That's, this is what, this is what we're, uh, we're talking about here. I'm going to expect the next fee article to be on, you know, on foot, you know, foot fetishes and, and, uh, Free market approach to foot fetishes. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, you you brought up, um, you know, uh, being uh, being gay and um, libertarian, conservative. I think you describe yourself like. Uh, for me, that makes sense. Like now, but uh, there was a time where people couldn't, you know, kind of grasp the idea of wait a minute, you're gay. How can you? How can you have anything conservative uh, about you? And uh, you know. What what is what has that been like? I guess. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting generational gap. Um, but I would say I describe myself as politically conservative, but I've never described myself as socially conservative. To okay. be clear, I've always described myself as socially moderate or socially libertarian. Um, 
which is very different from being socially liberal these days. Uh, definitely not that. But then I'm economically conservative. I'm a little bit culturally conservative. Um, and so I've always said I kind of feel like the most libertarian person when I'm hanging out with conservatives and the most conservative person when I'm hanging out with libertarians and they try to pass me a line of Coke or, or get me to try the sex robot. And I'm like, eh, no. <laughs> just, uh, wait, wait, just, all right. We went from feet. Now we got sex robots coming up. Like, no, what, I'm what, just kidding. But you know, like the archetypal, like libertarians yeah. who are over the top. Um, Transhumanists. They're ready to, you know, upload their mind link. and Yeah. Uh, yeah. To metaverse. Um, yeah. But so I, that kind of describes it for me uh, where I land. But on the gay thing, I think I would feel that way if I'd been born in the 90s. I, I mm-hmm. probably, I can totally understand why older gay people just feel totally put off by the Republican Party because, you know, for decades it was trying to pass a constitutional amendment to ban them from getting married or trying to make uh, defending anti sodomy laws or a lot of these things. Whereas, like, look, I had tons of criticisms of Trump on policy. When it came to his approach to gay issues, he really didn't care. He said he was fine with gay marriage. His ambassador who was gay, Rick Grinnell, actually launched like an international campaign to decriminalize homosexuality. So in a lot of ways, if you look at polls, about 50% of Republicans now support gay marriage. Um, but I'd be interested even within that data, do they? how many support it being legal, but might not personally support it? Could be higher. And then actually like 60% of Republicans support anti-discrimination protections for LGBT people. A lot of the culture war has moved on to the trans stuff, which Mm -hmm. is tricky and complicated for me. I have compassion for transgender people, but I I definitely see some of the points and concerns that people have with the excesses of that movement, uh, including gay people having concerns about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And so... Honestly, this might this might sound weird, but I would say that almost all the young people on the right I know, including Republicans and conservatives um, in D.C. or online or around the country, are basically pro-gay or gay ambivalent, but trans skeptical in terms of not like hating trans people, but uh, skeptical of the trans movement and the bathrooms and sports and all of that kind of thing. And I I think that's an interesting new consensus sort of Mm -hmm. on the right where it allows the left to look at them and say, oh, they're anti-LGBT because they're trans skeptical. And then on the right, you could say, well, they're pretty chill with gay and lesbian people now in most cases. So it's an interesting, um, but I think we're living in a time where people who are growing up now and who are gay are getting closer to being able to be individuals and just decide for themselves and not feel like they're blocked off from one ideology or party because of bigotry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have uh, um, friends who are uh, older gay, gay males, like, um, you know, in their fifties or, you know, even older than that. And one of the things that, that, that they talk to me about is how uh, young gay boys are basically being told that they're girls um, and, you know, it's like the idea because, you know, your son plays with dolls. Oh, it's not that for one, it's like, okay, whatever he, pl- it should be whatever he plays with dolls, big deal. Um, or it's not, okay, maybe my, he, maybe he's going to be gay, fine, whatever, or is gay or whatever. And now it's like, oh, he's got to be a girl. Uh, he must be a girl. And, and, um, 
you know, that, that's something that, that is a little, you know, I, I mean, it, I, I could see how that, how that's troubling. I, I have a friend of mine who sort of described it as like, they're murdering my, you know, my, my young, my young gay people in a, in a way, like they're not allowing them to be, to grow up, to be fruitful, murdering it in, in the sense of like their identity. Yeah. You know. I think that I think there, that touches on something true. It's a little, I think it's a little hyperbolic or further than I'd go because there still are a lot of young gay people who are just gay. Right. But yeah, a lot of people are being pushed into, oh, you must be non-binary or oh, you must be trans because um, there are some people like I, I have a friend, Blair White, who's a YouTuber um, who is more conservative. She knew from age five, she always felt like a girl. Uh, she was born as a biological man. Now she that stuck with her year after year, day after day. She could never get away with it. Felt it so strongly and irrepressibly from an early age. There are those people out there, and they right. genuinely have gender dysphoria and genuinely are trans. But what we're seeing now is not just more acceptance for those people, which I honestly have no issue with at all. But this push, I mean, they almost have defined what it means to be trans in super stereotypical ways about the sexes like i think if a seven-year-old likes dolls and wants to put on makeup those things have nothing to do with being male or female that's mm -hmm. just okay i mean maybe they're just a, a girly boy or whatever right i mean we used to have tomboys and stuff and now some of those people are pushed into that or they're told they might be non-binary or they them or trans or and the problem with that is that I could never at such a young age have made an irreversible, irreversible decision about my sexuality or about my life. I didn't really come to grips with all that until I was maybe 19. Mm -hmm. Yet with the trans question, kids and families are being asked to do things to 10 year olds or 12 year olds or 14 year olds like hormone block, uh, hormone therapy or puberty blockers those things are, in some cases, irreversible, and in all cases, very serious. And so I, I don't really think an 11-year-old can even understand what a sex is, what a man or a woman is, or what sexual orientation is, mm -hmm. let alone decide permanently that they're the opposite gender. And that's why we see that um, a large portion of kids who are gender confused at a young age if they're just treated kindly and kind of left to do their thing and, but not permanently altered or pushed into a trans medical path, a lot of them will grow out of it. Not all, but a lot of them will grow out of it. And some of those people that grow out of it will end up being gay or lesbian. And that should be just perfectly fine. And then the ones who truly persist and have this stick with them for years and years and years, medical treatments might be the right thing for them if that's really the case. But we can't be forcing and pushing that on people far too young to truly consent or know what's going on. Yeah, you bring up uh, your friend uh, Blair White, and I'm, I'm familiar with Blair. I've, I've, I've seen her on you know uh, other podcasts and, and all that. And I I think I watched one video where she was uh, like kind of showing pictures of her transitioning. And there's a I mean there's a lot of work involved. That's a lot of time, a lot of money. Uh, you know, she really you know went for it. You know, um, and something something I you know I've I've kind of thought about is, you know, at, I mean there was a time where, you know, her, you know, horrible horrible times where if somebody wanted to transition, 
they weren't, they wouldn't be able to get the medical help that they needed. And some people went and, you know, castrated themselves or, you know, put themselves in really, in really bad uh, positions. And thankfully, you know, we're not in that, in that position now. I'm wondering, you know, with the way that science is, is moving or, you know, uh, medical technology, you know, will we be at a point where like the operations or stuff is just so good that like, you can't tell, you know, like, is it going to be, you know, because there, there's, you know, there's, we're still at a point where it's like, okay, we could kind of tell something's going on here. Or, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how to say without coming off as like, uh, like a, a dick, you know? Well, in the case of Blair, like if you just met her on the street, you would not be able to tell, but she's no. also had extensive plastic surgery, which she's right. very open about. Right. Yeah. Like, um, so, but you're right. Oftentimes trans people don't completely pass, but a lot more pass than you might actually realize. Mm -hmm. um, but this is actually tangled it up in what we were talking about a moment ago, because the reason ostensibly that progressive or, or trans activist people want to start the kids so young on these medical treatments is that if you do it before puberty, it is much more effective in terms mm -hmm. of the end result. Now, I can sort of see that, but to me, it doesn't change anything. They're still too young. It's, it's potentially irreversible stuff. You have people who are called desisters who right. went through the transition and then come out and realize they weren't trans. They were confused or they were, had it wrapped up in other issues. Then their bodies are permanently altered or scarred as a result. Um, so, but the reason they push that is because you can very effectively pass if you never go through the your birth sex's puberty. But I don't think that's worth even close to the high cost associated with pushing people so young to make life altering decisions. Uh, and on the flip side, I will just say there are some things that never change. I mean, your bone size is different on average for men and women. The size of your hands and feet, like this is why the trans sports issue even women who are suppressing their testosterone, transgender women, still have big advantages in some sports because there are things that just don't change. There are some things that change, like your muscle mass will decrease if you uh, take estrogen and suppress your testosterone, but you will never really be identical to a woman because there's something about biological sex that goes down to your DNA. And what I just wish is that we could just acknowledge that everybody, with a very rare exception of intersex people, everybody is biologically male or female based on their DNA. But then, you know, people should be able to express themselves or live however they want outside of that. I'm really not into sex stereotypes or I must be a woman because I like makeup or anything like that. I just think we could discard a lot of that without discarding biological reality, which is mm -hmm. what woke left increasingly attempts to do. Yeah. I mean, the, what's it, the recent debate over that college swimmer um, is, I, I think I saw I saw a clip today of one of the races where they were ahead by like seven seconds or something. Yeah, half which the is, full length, which it wasn't is even close. Yeah, which when you're talking about well, you're talking about anything, any sort of race. I mean, seven seconds is is huge. Um, and uh, yeah, apparently before they transitioned, they were ranked like in the four hundreds among men, and now they're ranked number one among women. It's you know it's it, it's sort of an undeniable you know reality there, um, and I, I don't know I, I I I would like to think we would get to the point where biological reality, but still treat people humanely, you know. But 
but we have to realize, you know, there is some that there is such a thing as as truth out there, you know. Yeah, there is. And and the problem is with this entire conversation is so many people on the woke left will just scream bigot at you for even discussing the things. I was actually pushed out of a gay men's soccer league here in DC because of my views on transgenderism, which I actually think are nuanced and compassionate, but they're not hard left. Um, Mm -hmm. And so they said that my views endangered the potential safety of any, there aren't any transgender people in the team or the league. Um, However, they said that hypothetical future ones would be physically endangered by my ideas. Uh, Even though that's not something I ever talked about at a soccer game, which to me, it is DC. So DC is a woke bubble, but that really showed how far just crazy some of these people in the woke left LGBT land have gone. Did you, did you find a new team? Oh yeah. I I play with a team with um, only other straight guys and they don't just, it's kind of funny. I ended up playing on a soccer team with just straight guys who, and they accepted me. <laughs> that's how far we, yeah, that's how far we've come. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll take the gay dude. Yeah, sure. Why not? They just we'll didn't care. care. They didn't even know. And then when they found out when my boyfriend started coming to games, no one really blinked. Uh-huh. And so now I'm just friends with them, go out to drinks. Yeah. We just play together. Yeah. There, there is something, I mean, this has happened like, you know, this has been happening for quite a few years, probably when, you know, when you were in college, because, uh, because that was around the time, like 2015, 2016, when I just started noticing people equating ideas they were uncomfortable with, with violence and safety. And the more I hear about it, the more I wonder just how, um, uh, I don't know how privileged one must be, uh, to think that, you know, ideas you disagree with are, are a form of violence. It's like, have you ever, ex- do you want to ask that person, do you, do you know what actual violence is like being hit or all that? It's because actual violence is awful. Yeah. Yeah. It's an, it's a definitely an insult to people who've actually experienced real, you know, real trauma. That reminds me. Uh, one of the things I've written about is the squad has uh, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley from Boston um, where I'm from bald head right bald. yeah uh she is and i actually think she um i actually think she looks good bald she pulls it like, off no she she's got a good head with that however one of the crazy things that she said is accusing people who oppose student debt cancellation of policy violence oh hit my light there for a second but she what she basically said is that people who disagree with her kind of squad socialist economic agenda are committing policy violence and i'm like that phrase should not exist in the english language that is some of the craziest stuff i have ever heard i mean to, it, it, what's just chilling about it what's scary about it is that labeling speech as violence is is the precursor to trying to silence that speech because most people agree that right. that speech is is fair game and violence should not be right. But when you try to move that line and start calling speech violence, particularly when you're a government official, but also anyone doing this, they're very clearly laying the groundwork to try to suppress dangerous ideas with force ideas they think are dangerous. And that's something really scary. Yeah. And ultimately the reason why we speak is so we don't have to fight. You know, we, we fight with words because it's much more preferable than fighting with fists or, or even or even worse. 
uh, than that. And yeah, and, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed um, what you've written about uh, cancel student debt. You had um, you had a piece uh, recently that, that I read where it was basically calling out all of the members of Congress who have student loan debt who want student loan debt to be canceled. And uh, you pointed out, you know, the obvious conflict of interest here. You could talk a little bit about uh, about that. Yeah. Piece? So I don't have the exact numbers pulled up in front of me, but I, that article, when I came across the numbers for this, it, it blew my mind. AOC, Ilya Omar, Jamal Bowman, and a bunch of other, um, I, th- I believe Rashida Tlaib, although that may just be law school debt, which wouldn't be canceled. Um, but a bunch of these lawmakers who push student debt cancellation have tens of thousands of dollars personally in federal student loan debt that they have not been paying off, even while the interest payments have been waived during COVID. And even though they have $175,000 salaries, they don't make payments on it. And they're just waiting to cancel student debt to have their personal debt forgiven. I think, you know, look, I, I don't believe necessarily that they're only supporting that policy because of the financial benefit. I think they're true mm-hmm. ideologues and they support it anyway, but it's still a huge conflict of interest. And more importantly, I mean, one study from the University of Chicago found that six times more benefit goes to the top 20% than the bottom 20% from student debt cancellation because it actually it only helps educated, affluent people. It only helps people who went to college, uh, yet all of us have to pay for it. So the thing about the conflict of interest is not that it's motivating them. I don't really think it is, though it's a little swampy and corrupt. It's that it shows what a warped policy and how regressive it actually is. Yeah, and I think with with AOC, uh, I had tweeted this a while back. It was uh, kind of along the same lines. It was, you know, if if you can't figure out how to pay back your student loans with a salary of $170,000, then you really need to stop bragging about your economics degree. Oh my gosh, she should it's she like should confiscate that degree from her. Yeah, they, they or or you know, you know, uh, Boston University owes her uh, some money back directly, you know. Um yeah, yeah, it's uh, it it it's it really you know says something about you know these are the people who want to be in charge of you know our economy, you know. So. Yeah, and I wouldn't want them running. I mean, look, they can't. AOC has made so many viral economics flubs that the fact that she has a degree in economics is genuinely embarrassing to the Boston University department. Well, uh, so you're from Massachusetts originally. You went to Amherst, a, a, a public uh, public college. AOC, I think you you may have mentioned this in your uh, either in a tweet or or in that article. AOC went from New York to Boston University, so she ended, uh, ended up having to pay what out of state. Uh, well, Boston University is a private school. Actually. Oh, it is private. The, oh, name okay, is, okay. I, the name sounds like a public school, but oh, it's okay, actually a very expensive elite private university. Got it. Got it. Okay. So scratch that. So she really shouldn't be asking taxpayers to pay off her debt, but she still is. Yeah. I was a part of the, um, what was it? Probably like a, a year ago or more. I was a part of a, um, uh, a debate on cancel student debt and it was me and Matt Welch. Uh, we were against it versus, um, uh, was, uh, Sam Sater, uh, is his name. And it, there was a comedian, um, my apologies, uh, his name, uh, I'm forgetting his name. And, um, so they were uh, on the pro side and, uh, I think uh, it, it was a great debate. I think Sam did great. I, I, uh, you know, enjoyed being there and sharing the stage with him. Uh, but they were put in a really difficult position. I think in that the motion was to dismiss or cancel all student debt. So for, like you said, 
the student debt, you know, student loan debt of the very richest people as well, where I think, you know, as a, if you were trying to sell a policy, you know, I think it would be a lot, a lot easier to say, no, look, if you're able to pay off your student loans, you're able to pay off your student loans. We're going to try to help people who, who actually have legitimate, you know, uh, problems paying it off, you know, if, yeah. if you were selling well, it. Politically, that would be a much easier sell. That's yeah. why there's actually some people, uh, I believe President Biden proposed this. His plan is to just cancel $10,000 each in, in debt, which I still don't support, but isn't as regressive as canceling the whole debt. It doesn't benefit the affluent as much because a lot of the biggest student debt sums are from undergrad are held by people who went on to postgraduate degrees and became doctors or lawyers or, or PhDs or this or that. So you literally are giving taxpayer bailouts to a lot of very wealthy people who could totally pay off their own bills. And that's why it's such an indefensible position for progressives, in my opinion, because on everything, they're about tax the rich, help the working class, help the poor. We need progressive policies, not regressive and they always accuse Republicans of being regressive, like, oh, cutting taxes for the rich. And sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not. But that's what they always say. And then on this one policy issue, just this one time, they've decided actually regressive policies that help the affluent and, and burden the poor are, are OK. And it's not a coincidence, Lou, that that yeah. policy helps their voting base, young, progressive, middle class, college graduates um, and what overwhelmingly white people. Um it's not a coincidence that the one time they make an exception for their principles is for something that overwhelmingly is a cash relief for their base. Yeah. Um, you're not too far, you know, not too long out of college. Uh, you know, do people, if people were to ask you for advice as far as, you know, whether to go to college or not, or if they go to college, what to study, I mean, what do you, you know, what do you tell them? Well, there's so much I could say. Um, I'm a little torn, honestly, because I almost want to counsel them. Like for what I did, for example, is I um, when I truncated my college to three years, went to an affordable public school, worked nights as a security guard from a week before the first day of my freshman year, and then took on as little debt as possible. I probably would have been better served by racking it all up on debt and then saving that money and investing it in Bitcoin <laughs> and then, or, or even in just stocks or something. And then sitting on that money and waiting for the government to cancel it or suspend payments like they have for COVID. Now that's mm -hmm. not in line with my values, but like just in my raw pragmatic sense, there's a good chance the people who take out debt now won't have to pay it back, but they could, in which case they'd be screwed. So it's hard to know what to advise people, though I would say that I think um, where you go to college, in many industries at least, is increasingly less important, whether it's elite or fancy school or not. Uh, and, and the people who sign up for 70K a year, literally $70,000 a year from these elite private schools, sometimes they, I mean, and bless her heart, she was a wonderful lady, but I had a track coach in high school that was a gym teacher with a degree from Brown. And, wow. and it's like, she made the same salary as her peers who went to Framingham state. And I'm sure she had five times as much debt. And it's like, just my only advice would be to do very hard, um, objective cost benefit analysis 
And then also consider not just where you study, but what you study, because Mm -hmm. some majors have a return on investment and some of them are an absolute waste. And actually you're not only wasting years of your life and tens of thousands of dollars, but you're going to make, you're going to end up as a barista. So I, I would really say cost benefit analysis, take your emotion out of it. Stop worrying about the college experience and all that. I mean, that's just first world problems galore. I mean, if you're wealthy and have daddy's money, whatever, go for wherever you want, preferably somewhere warm. That's my one regret. I should have gone to college in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, if you, if you have beautiful feet, you're able to sell uh, pictures of, you know, that could definitely, uh, you know, help, help things out, I guess. (sighs) (laughs) That sigh. We're both, ah, man, I think my time, my time is done on the feet though. I think I missed my window. I should have done it as a younger man. Your feet are starting to age. Oh yeah, it's They're a, not the money makers they used to be. No, man, it's very dry in my house, and it's like winter, and so you know we're getting yeah, there's stuff happening. I'm getting old, getting old. These feet cannot relate. Can't, no, <laughs> you, you will never, you will never get old. Although they, what's old for a gay man? Is it 25? Um, but you age out. I feel like, like 30 that. is when when I like view them as like an elder gay. Oh God. Man, as somebody who's about to turn 40 and who had like probably like like one of my best years of my life when I turned 30, to hear that, I'm like, I'm like well, well, thank God I'm straight because then I didn't well, age, age out at of least it. You're, so once you're over 40, I would consider you a boomer. Oh, God. Oh, no. And so for the next year, I can still associate with you. And then after that, we're just- no, after then you're cut off. I gotta burn. I gotta burn this uh, digital copy. Uh, <laughs> no, I kid. And yes, I know people. Baby boomers are not this year, or whatever. But boomer is a mentality. That's what people need to understand about OK Boomer as if as a youth like slogan or movement is. We are not attacking a demographic of people. We are attacking a mentality that is more prevalent in in people of a certain generation but not prevalent in all of them and also is prevalent in lots of gen xers or silent gens so yeah i think there was a time where they were trying to get boomer to be like a a slur slur, right yeah Yeah. which is such a boomer thing to do it's It's such a snowflake thing boomers are some of the biggest snowflakes (laughs) boomers and sjw's and and not all to be clear, not all boomers, right? But like a lot of like Republican MAGA boomers are like freedom, man, down with the snowflakes. But don't you dare say okay, boomer, that's a slur, <laughs> dude. I had I had a it, it's so funny. Like I make if I make a joke about Trump, like the people come after me. I have people who like love who have been watching my stuff for years and years, and then I go and I make a Trump joke, and they're like. Oh, what are you trying to pander to the left? And it's like, it's like, what the, f- it's like, it's like, you know, the dude is a comical subject, you know? And if I have a good joke, oh, yeah. I can make fun of him, you know, but it's funny. It, it's never uh, funnier than the fact that he hawks a diet Coke. And I'm like, dude, you are not the best <laughs> spokesperson for this. Not, not the best one. Well, I, I realize that, you know, TDS or Trump derangement syndrome, it, it works both ways. Absolutely. Know, it, goes, it goes both ways for sure. People were, I mean, there's still people walking around with a with the red MAGA hat. Yeah. I mean, I still I know of people in my life who think that he'll be reinstated. Still, what when's it? August thirteenth. Keep changing the date. It's the new yeah. Mayan calendar. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, actually, I have a book about uh, Quetzalcoatl. It was like the it was supposed to be twenty uh, twenty twelve. I think it was yeah. supposed to be the uh, 
the end of the world or the beginning of. But something. then when it doesn't happen, they say, "Oh, we were reading it incorrectly. It's actually this day." And it's like that's kind of what QAnon has done with Trump being re- restored. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you uh, ever like dabble in in those circles? You ever go? Uh, you ever go deep over there? Or you just no, I I really don't. Yeah, I, I haven't. It, every time I hear about it, I, it's always a surprise to me that because because I'm not following it, but most of the time the people who report on it report on it as if it's like this huge movement that, you know, is just, you know, taking over the country. It's, I think it's regional because I have heard from some friends who live in the South that like a lot of people at their church actually believe in QAnon or other things, but I agree. It's still a very fringe thing. But the thing about the internet is that fringes can go into their own little bubbles and be alone that's actually one of the problems with censorship and deplatforming is like if QAnon people were on Facebook, well, at least they're going to be exposed to other things while they're there. Yet if they're banned from Facebook and they go to like dark Reddit or like, you know, parlor or something, they're only going to be amongst themselves. And whether it's left or right, there's a phenomenon where people, when they're only surrounded by people like them, they get who all agree they get more and more extreme in an echo chamber. Um, yeah. And so that's, yeah, I mean, I really, I don't think it's super widespread, but I do think some people can really go off the deep end, especially when they're isolated like that. Yeah. I've heard stories. Uh, yeah. I've heard stories about people who have, you know, gone off, uh, off the, the deep end. Um, yeah. When you bring up, you know, uh, censorship, you know, uh, obviously, you know, yeah, we're going to hear this all the time. Facebook is private and blah, blah. Yeah, sure. Okay. I get it. But um you know, when it, the way that I look at things, you know, it's like the thing about censorship, it's, it's not only uh, that I have a right to speak, but it's also, I also have a right to hear this stuff. You know, I, I have a right to, to make a determination for myself on what is, what is kooky and what's, uh, you know, uh, what's true and, 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 and right and, and to be able to hear it. And I think that's one of the, I, I mean, I used to, I used to really enjoy uh, Facebook coming across goofy shit um and being able to mock it and i think that is something that you know i I think that that's something a lot of people forget there's this idea of uh you know the word keeps getting said over and over again misinformation misinformation and is the most fun because you get to you get to goof on it so yeah um i i do agree with you the big tech issue for me is one of the most nuanced and complicated ones because two things can be true at once that a lot of people struggle with. There's the question as a matter of law. The First Amendment as a law does not apply to Facebook. But there's still something known as like cultural free speech, like the values of robust debate and open uh, discourse. And so we can call on them for attacking free speech, even though they're not literally bound by the First Amendment. And I do support their legal right to remove people from their platform. But that doesn't mean I think it's all right or okay. I actually think it's, in many cases, very disturbing. Now, the flip side is a lot of people on the right have have kind of gone to daddy government for a solution. And I almost always think that's a mistake because any plan that involves, like you have like Senator Josh Hawley talking about how we need to empower the FTC to regulate free speech on social media. And I'm like, you you are such a short-sighted man if you, the average federal bureaucrat has the politics of Elizabeth Warren, you put them in charge, 
they're going to be much worse than Zuckerberg as annoying and as bad as his decisions have been. At least they have a profit motive to not kick everybody off. Right. Whereas government Karens with the ideology of Elizabeth Warren are not going to give us better free speech online than a distorted, but market-based system. Yeah. It's, it's, it is very short-sighted, you know, on, on, you know, both sides of the aisle when it comes to, uh, you know, censorship or, or taking over, you know, Facebook or the other uh, social media platforms. Cause it's like, uh, it's like, you know, here, you know, the same guy will be complaining about, uh, you know, being shadow banned or being censored. And that's why they need the government to come and, and save them. It's like, well, but there's going to be a time when your party is not in control of that same government, you know? That's, I mean, th- like they're all so short-sighted. Like this is the same yeah. thing with the Democrats and the filibuster. They're like, oh, let's get rid of the filibuster to pass all our stuff now. We'll never need that again. Yeah. You don't think that Republicans are going to come in and pass tons of things that you hate four years from now? They did this with the judicial nominees. They nuked the filibuster for all judicial nominees except for the Supreme Court so they could push through a bunch of Obama judges. And then when Republicans took power, they nuked it for the Supreme Court. And now they got uh, Daddy Neil Gorsuch, who I love, Chef's Kiss, um, and then also Kavanaugh, who, eh. um, <laughs> what, what, what is, uh, what, what is the, 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 the thing about Gorsuch that, uh, that you love and the thing about Kavanaugh you don't? Well, it's twofold. One, Gorsuch is hot. Two, <laughs> and Kavanaugh is not. Uh-huh. But that's not the main thing. The main thing is that uh, Gorsuch is the, the most libertarian and consistent justice that we've had in my lifetime on the Supreme Court the most consistently civil libertarian, economic freedom, limited government, strict constitution. So I think he's great. I think he's the best one on the court by far. Kavanaugh, I definitely defended him during the Me Too stuff, but on the actual substance of judging of his judicial philosophy, he is like a bushy establishment squish Republican. And so he's a huge disappointment on a lot of things. Well, Gorsuch looks like a guy, he could be an actor in like a Cialis commercial. You know, my dude, he, he just silver Fox though. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, that that's, I hope to get there one day. There's something about like, like older, thinner, like older, thin guys that are tall, you know, like over six feet. Um, there's that's gonna uh, be me. I'm six foot four. Dude, six, four is ridiculous, man. You know, you know, what's so fucked up. I've been, I'm, I, I've been five foot 10, right. From whole life. Okay. Whatever. Are you shrinking? Uh, dude, I got, I went, <laughs> I got a physical. I shit you not. I got a physical the other week. And the the lady asked me before she measured me, you know, like, how tall are you? I'm like, oh, I'm 5'10. She's like, no, oh, you're 5'9. And I'm like, what? This is the first time. You hand her a 20 and you're like, no, I'm 5'10. I, I mean, I'm, I, I might have to go back just for that. Like, forget about blood work or anything like that. I want to be measured again. And I'm like, what the fuck? Am I, co- I'm collapsing on myself? This sucks. No, that does happen though. So my boyfriend is uh, about to graduate medical school. And I think he's explained to me that like something in your spine slowly decompresses and you get a, a few inches shorter over the course of your life. Jesus Christ. That sucks. Well, I can't wait for you to be what six three, and you're going to go down it. Yeah, what a shame. Yeah, how tall is your boyfriend? He's six foot one. Six foot one, doctor. Mm-hmm. Damn. My my <laughs> my. Uh, what, what was this? Uh, I'll, I'll I'll leave you with this story. Um, it was probably like three years ago, and my wife um, 
my wife and I, uh, we were expecting, uh, unfortunately, um, she miscarried, uh, very oh, early, yeah. very early, uh, in the pregnancy thing, you know, thankfully. And we go to the hospital and the doctor that was taking care of her looked like Ryan Gosling. And there was a point where he was supposed to examine her, but him being a male, he needed a woman to be in, bring in like a nurse and all that. And it was, you know, I'm watching this guy, you know, examine my wife. He looks like Ryan Gosling. He's like beautiful, piercing blue eyes. And he's a fucking doctor. And he has a ring on, like he's married. And you know, like his wife has to be the happiest woman around. And I was just like, that, this isn't, this isn't really fair. What's going on here, man? Like here I am, uh, I'm a fucking comedian, you know? So. Yeah, but uh, I will say, funny guys pull. I I had a friend in high school who was not – I'll just leave it at this. He was not an attractive guy. He was okay. short. He was pudgy. He was a ginger. <laughs> Sorry, he was a ginger. Looking like a Brett Kavanaugh right there. <laughs> what you but describe. he was like the cool kid in the class clown, and he was hella confident – and so he would date all the hottest girls in high school. And because honestly, like confidence, I, obviously I'm not an expert in like what women want, but I, I so think that women are attracted to confident men and repulsed from like self-deprecating or insecure men that you can actually, like, if you've got the kind of swagger, you can pull off even being kind of chump looking. I mean, I have seen many times in a meh looking guy with a bombshell woman, but I have never or almost never seen a bombshell looking guy with a frumpy woman because men are much more shallow than women is my point. As you would, as you would know, because you date them and you yes. know, you know, <laughs> you know, first of all. oh man. Well, great. You know, I think there's, uh, there's hope for me out there as I approach 40, and uh, my back continues to shrink. Uh, yeah, as I become a boomer and lose a few more inches of height, <laughs> man. Brad, thank you so much for joining me. Where can uh, where can people find you and your stuff? Yeah, thanks for having me. And people should honestly just go check out the podcast. Search Base Politics wherever you're listening right now, uh, and, and go and subscribe and listen. Thank you so much for listening. And again, please order my book. That joke isn't funny anymore. On the death and rebirth of comedy. Just follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez. That joke isn't funny anymore. And please subscribe to my podcast. Leave a five-star review. Why not? Sign up for my newsletter at theluperez.com. And if you want other ways to support my work, you can join theluperez.locals.com. And of course, be sure to support my sponsors, palomaverdecbd.com. Use promo code Lou for 25% off purchases over $75 and black organic cold brew. B-L-V-C-K-B-R-E-W dot com. Use promo code Lou for free shipping. Thank you.